Good morning, church. How are we today? You guys are getting so good. That's so good to hear. And happy spring to you. The first day of spring is going to be a beautiful day, a chance for us to get outside. Uh, but let me invite you now to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 15. Did you know that four out of the top ten highest grossing movies in the world are Avenger movies? Something to do with Marvel. I mean, all, the Avengers have captured the attention of people all around the world. And isn't there something like in us that is drawn to a hero story? I mean, you think of Jesus who is our ultimate hero. But, but with the Avengers, I mean, there, there's just something that draws us to wanting to have someone to cheer for. You know, and if I were to ask you, well, what's your favorite Avenger? I'm sure we would probably name them all within this room, even though it's clear that Captain America is the best. But have you ever looked at Avengers in this light? There, there wasn't one person who could save the world on his own. In, in all the Avenger movies that come out, there are multiple Avengers that we see in these movies. And there is something for us as a church to learn in light of this. We are stronger together. We cannot glorify God and make disciples on our own. God has created us for community. He has created us to link arms with other brothers and sisters. And this is not something that is just left to the pastors, to the elders. We don't just gather on Sunday, we get encouraged, and then we let the pastors and the elders do all of the work the rest of the week. This is something where if we want to see God glorified, if we want to see people come to Christ, this is an effort that we all take part in. Because the truth is, the reality is in all of this, we are stronger together. Solo ministry is not going to cut it. Believing we don't need anyone else will leave us in a place of destruction. And we see here in Acts 15 that indeed we're stronger together. And so why don't you join with me as I read starting in verse 22 of chapter 15. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders with the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch and having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves 
prophets encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the hope that it brings us. Lord, thank you for the time that we've had to gather together to remind us of how amazing you are, Lord, because every good and perfect thing comes from you. Lord, our lives, we live it for your glory, for you to be honored, for you to be lifted high. And Lord, we realize that that's going to happen best as we realize our need for one another. God, you've created us for community and we are stronger together. Lord, that the gospel moves forth in power when the church is being who it should be. Through our unification, through our encouragement. Lord, when we are united, it gives a picture to the world that individualism is not the way to a better life. Individualism is not what will ultimately lead to you being glorified, God. But we are stronger when we are working together. And so, Lord, would you encourage us this morning from your word? Would you challenge us, Lord? Would you open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things? And, God, if you need to convict us of any sin in our lives, the Lord, do so. But I just pray that we would leave having, been encount- having encountered you and your word. So thank you uh, for your blessings this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, we looked at what it takes for someone to be saved and what the marks of salvation are. And that really stemmed from issues that were being raised in light of Gentiles being saved. Now remember, the Jews, they had been raised by the law. Circumcision was a big deal. And only those who had been circumcised, they were saying, could be saved. And you must follow the law to the T. And what Paul and Barnabas were proclaiming is that's not true at all. We're not saved by these things. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. And this had the potential to be damaging to the church. And so Paul and Barnabas were called to Jerusalem uh, at a council where they discussed these things. And after the deliberations, it was very clear to the leaders of the church that salvation indeed is by grace through faith in Christ alone. There was no reason to lay on this heavy burden on the Gentiles. And so our passage this morning concludes this discussion as Paul, Barnabas, and others are sent on their way to Antioch with the letter delivering this important message. And what we're going to talk about today is the strength that we see in the unity within the church. Indeed, we will see that the church is stronger together. And so let's discuss Three ways that we see that this is true. The first thing is this. The church is stronger in numbers. We are stronger in numbers. We see in verse 22 that there is much involvement with getting the news out to the Gentiles. And together the apostles, the elders, the whole church chose men to go with Paul and Barnabas in order to deliver this message. These, are, these leaders understood the importance of numbers, the importance of not going alone. This is not about having massive numbers as much as it's do not do this alone. 
Like we need one another. We need others to come alongside to encourage us when we lose heart. And so this was a major thing that the church understood and what we must understand. And really, this is something that we see all throughout Scripture. This is no new idea that we shouldn't go alone. So we're going to turn to several passages here. So keep this marked in your Bible. But first, turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. So if you're in the Old Testament, you have Psalms, Proverbs, and then you have the book Ecclesiastes. And what we see in verse 9 and following is this. Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other, not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We see here very clearly life is better with more than one person. Life is better when we do this together because we're all tempted and we all actually do fall from time to time. And when we fall alone, we have no one there to come alongside to lift us up. Look now with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just a couple books Past Acts. Verse 25, we read this. Actually, verse 24, the second part, it says, But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. There's a sense as a church that when one member suffers, we suffer together. We come alongside others and encourage them. We all need this. And so let, let's just spend a couple minds. And, uh, uh, let me point you to this. Just mark this in your, in your notes there if you're taking notes. Matthew 18, 20 reminds us that where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. Think about that. Where two or, or more are gathered in the name of God, God is with us. I mean, do you believe right now that God is in our midst? I mean, think about that. Let that sink in for a minute. The creator of the universe, the savior of the world is amongst us. And when we go about life in community like that, we find great hope trusting that God is with us in those moments. What a unique thing it is for the people of God to gather together. So how is it that we are stronger in numbers? Let's just... Spend a few minutes talking about that. A first thing you can write down is we pick each other up when we fall. Whether it be from sin or whether it just be from being in a place of despair, we all fall down from time to time. But if we are walking through life with others in Christ, we will have people to pick us up. 
I mean, there's nothing more lonely than to not let anybody in your life when you are in your darkest place. But man, does it do a number for us when we can share our burdens with those around us. If you are doing life alone, you, you are setting yourself up for some major trouble. And here's the problem. Too often we are so proud thinking I'm strong enough. I'm tough enough. And I don't want to humble myself to the point where I want somebody else to understand that and think that somehow I need help. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you need help. <laughs> now go back to that same person and say, I do need help. <laughs> we all need one another. We are all tempted to fall. We are all tempted to discouragement. We're all tempted to sin. And there's an opportunity for us as we gather to encourage one another. A second thing, we challenge one another. You know, one thing I found true in my life, in my walk with Christ, is that I need people to come alongside and challenge me in my walk with God. There are times when I find myself in a rut. It, it seems like these bad habits, I just can't get out of the way. Or maybe I'm starting to go sideways a bit. I'm starting to drift. And then somebody comes along and challenges me with something. Even this week, Aaron, our elder, uh, just pointed out something that I had said that was, I didn't give enough context around what I had said. And it would lead people to think I meant something that I didn't mean. And, 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 and what I found out when he talked to me is that there was this area where I was starting to drift. And I was starting to get away from God. And I was starting to go to things that I didn't need to spend my time going in. And, and so him coming to challenge me on that was, was a, a major blessing for me. Because I realized, man, I need to stay on the gospel, I need to stay centered on God and I'm going to, to these paths that aren't going to lead to a place that's going to build up others around us. We need people to challenge us because we don't always see when we are going astray, do we? We often see the best version of ourselves and we need others to help us understand that that's not always the case. We don't always see clearly. And then lastly in this, we, we just do more together. God has uniquely gifted each of us in different ways. There are ways that I can encourage you. There are ways that you can encourage me. Everybody here has been, if, if you have repented of your sin and placed your faith in Christ, God has gifted you in such a way that you can serve the church. Each of us have different gifts here. Praise God we're not all the same. Wouldn't life be boring if everybody was just like you? Be terrible. And if you have kids, you know this is true because you, you come across a, a child that is just like you, and what usually happens? <laughs> it's like horns locking, right? So praise God that He has uniquely gifted us. We, we are able to serve one another because God has equipped us uniquely. We can do more together. And so, just that brings us to the question are you connected with other believers? Are you doing life with others who know you at a deeper level than anybody else? Are you known? Or do you try to protect yourself? You don't want to let anybody in because if you let anybody see how weak you are, then they might judge you. When scripture already tells us that we're all weak. Scripture already says that we are 
Apart from Christ, dead. We have nothing to offer apart from Christ. The ground is level at the cross. Nobody comes having more to offer than anybody else. It's only by God's grace that we have anything to offer. And so Jesus didn't came to save those who have it all together. So why would he expect you to have it all together? Nobody here has it all together. Now turn to your neighbor and say, you don't have it all together. <laughs> I was meeting even with somebody this week and just encouraging him and reminding him, man, we need each other. You don't have this life nailed. Nobody's batting 100% in everything they do. We are stronger in numbers. Look at verse 23 in Acts chapter 15. So Judas called Barsabbas and Silas, leading men among the brothers, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch, in Syria, and Cilicia, greetings. Since we have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words on settling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who have risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas, who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So the second thing, second way that we are stronger is this. We are stronger in unity. We are stronger in unity. So what we see here is the letter that is sent back to Antioch. Remember, this is where the Gentiles are being told different things. And so this is the letter being delivered to them in light of the conclusions in regards to salvation. And within this decision, there is great uni unity. Verse 25 speaks of the fact that they came together on one accord. And because of the trouble that the Christians had faced that unsettled the minds of these young believers, it was all the more important that multiple brothers went to encourage these Christians. And wouldn't you say that doctrine and theology have the potential to threaten the unity of the church? Would you not say that it matters how we interpret scripture, how we understand it? That's why when we go through membership, we have you agree with the doctrine of the church. Make sure you were in agreement with what it says. It's important for you to find a church that you can back what their core values are. Now, it's not the sense that we have 100% agreement on absolutely everything the church says they believe. But there must be agreement on the essentials. And what we see here in this scripture is the importance of understanding the essentials of salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. There is no other way into salvation except through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except 
through me. There is no way that we can compromise this truth. If you are here thinking that somehow your good works and you stand on that, that it's my good works along with those things that makes me saved, you're probably going to find yourself disagreeing with a lot of what we have to say. But this is foundational to our church. Because if we think somehow we contribute to our salvation, then why did Jesus need to die in the first place? It matters that we are unified on the essential truths. The problem is sometimes we get those mixed up, don't we? Sometimes non-essential things become essential things, and that can screw us up real quickly. I always loved what one of my former pastors said, that a church that I attended. He said, in the essentials unity, in the non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. I think that's a good practice for us. We have to be unified in the essential things. We, and we must not differ on who Jesus is either. There, there are some who would say that Jesus was a good man. There were some that would say Jesus was a good teacher, but he wasn't God. Now, if you think that, then you might as well throw all of the Old Testament out because all throughout the scriptures, Jesus doesn't say that he was just a good man. He has already said, he said he is the way, the truth, the life. In John 1, 1, we say, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was what? God. Jesus was fully God and fully man. Jesus didn't come and live a good life and God took notice and said, hey, you know what, because you've lived such a good life, therefore I'm going to make you part of the Trinity. Now Jesus was there in the beginning. Jesus is fully God and fully man. Is that something that we can comprehend with our human minds? No. But here's the thing. If we could comprehend fully who God is with our minds, do you think God would be God any longer? His ways are are not our ways. His thoughts are far above ours. We must understand who Jesus is. He is fully God and fully man. This is critical to the unity of our church. And, more, and the more we are unified, the stronger we will be. How do churches find themselves in church splits? It's when there's disunity within. All throughout the book here, also of Acts, we have seen great unity even in the midst of suffering. In, in verse 26, we see that these men who were together delivering this letter risked their lives for the name of Christ. There is something about unity when it comes to when we suffer together, isn't there? Nothing brings us together when somebody is able to lay a burden down and we are able to come around and encourage them. Or when somebody is being attacked by the world. And we're able to encourage our brothers and sisters to keep at it. When we hear of our brothers and sisters who are suffering for their faith around the world, that's encouraging to us. That brings us together. Suffering has this way of drawing us near to one another. It's usually not in times of prosperity, times of great study of the word of God, although certainly those things contribute. It's often in times of suffering that I find the greatest opportunity for unity. Which is all the more reason why we need to humble ourselves when we're in a mess. Because it rallies the troops and it actually gets us outside of ourselves. When we bring our burdens to others, when we ask for help, it rallies those around us. Because we're all tempted to just look inward, aren't we? 
But when somebody presents a burden, that actually gives the church an opportunity to get their eyes off themselves onto other people. As we discussed last week, there are a few things that the apostles asked the believers to abstain from. Look again at verse 28. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. That you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from these, you will do well. Now, now as we talked last week, these aren't things that would make them saved. They didn't get saved by abstaining from these things. But they would help promote unity as we talked about, the, the Jews were forbidden to eat meat that was sacrificed to idols. But the Gentiles, they, they had no conviction of this. Many of them had no form of worship. And so to, to purchase this meat that was sacrificed to idols was just no big deal. It was just another meal. But if you were to be a Gentile, have this meal prepared, invite some Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ over, you would be searing their conscience. You see, sometimes for the sake of unity, we need to understand that there are things that we should give up amongst our brothers and sisters in order to promote unity. Things that you might have the freedom in Christ to take part in, but for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the unity of the church, we choose to give up these things. Sometimes in order to be unified, we choose to die to ourselves in order to bless others. But what... What is it that kept them pursuing unity? What held them together through all of the suffering that they had gone through, through the chaos that they have experienced around them? In the world that we live in today, that can be obsessed with individualism, where it's easy to just leave a church when someone offends you, what, what actually holds a church together? What keeps us unified? Because we're all still sinners. Sadly, we all still sin against each other. I, I hope we don't mean it, we don't plan it out, but it still happens. So what keeps them, what kept them unified? What keeps us unified? Is it not through the topic that's being discussed here about salvation? It's about living a gospel-centered life. They understood who they were apart from Christ. They were able to see clearly their sin and understand that it was only by the mercy of God that they found salvation. It wasn't through observing the law. It wasn't through circumcision. It wasn't from being a good person. It was only because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason why that promotes unity is because we understand that we have been forgiven. Not by anything that we have done. And here's the reality that we all need to come to grips with. There is no sin committed against you that is worse than your sin committed against the Father. You believe that's true? Our sin was against Almighty God, perfect, holy, righteous. And yet in his mercy, he sent his son Jesus who lived an absolutely perfect life. And then while he was on the cross, God poured out all of his wrath to pay for the price of every sin of every person that would ever believe. It was our sin, it was your sin that killed the perfect Savior. 
And so when our brothers and sisters, when our spouses, when our family sins against us, it's not as bad as our sin against Christ. And what did Christ do for us? Forgave us. I love it, the story when the, when the disciples go to Jesus, and I think it's Peter. He says, how many times should I forgive? And, and, and there's like this boastfulness in it, like perhaps seven? I mean, I'm willing to forgive seven times. What do you think, Jesus? Did Jesus say, yeah, that's a good number. Is that what he said? Now, how about 70 times seven? Which is, this is not a mathematical equation, so those of you who hate math, don't, you don't have to do the numbers and calculate how many times you forgive. The point of that story is that don't keep track of forgiving. If somebody repents to you, then you forgive. And if they sin against you again and repent, then forgive. Why? Because I've forgiven you. How can we have unity in the church? It's understanding first and foremost our sin, my sin against Jesus. And realizing the fact that that sin has been paid for. So who am I to hold my sin against a brother or sister, my wife, my kids? That's what promotes unity. That's what kept the church unified is because they were amazed at God's grace in their life. Are you amazed at God's grace in your life? Are you living a gospel-centered life? Quick to forgive. Quick to make things right. Slow to just be irritated. Slow to be easily offended. When we start putting the gospel at the center of our lives, we will begin to see unity take form because we understand that we still sin. We read a couple weeks ago in Romans where Paul is wrestling through, like, wretched man that I am. I, I do what I don't want to do. And the very things that I want to do, I don't. <laughs> Who will save me from this wretched state that I'm in? Jesus Christ, thanks be to God. That has to be what comes before us every day. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day. Because every day we forget, don't we? Every day we are tempted to forget. We are stronger in unity. Look at verse 30. So when they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. Here's the last way that we see that we're stronger. We are stronger in encouragement. We are stronger in encouragement. As you can imagine, the, the letter brought great encouragement to the church in Antioch here. There was no need to add anything to their salvation. Everything that Paul and Barnabas had preached to preached them is true. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, not all of these other things that we have to follow. And there really is no greater joy than to know salvation is a gift from God. When the believers encourage one another, the, ch the church grows stronger. 
And how did the believers encourage one another? With the truth. They didn't give the, the people man's wisdom. They didn't try to compare their lives to others. Hey, at least your life isn't as bad as so-and-so down the street. They pointed them to the truth of salvation. And when we receive God's word, we receive great encouragement. As I have grown as a believer in Christ, it is evident that there is one thing that brings lasting encouragement. It's God's everlasting word. Not a promise of a better tomorrow in the sense of like still living in this world. Hey, it's going to get better. <laughs> it's not in the sense that, hey, you know what? Most people recover from this. The greatest joys have been from the promises of Scripture. Here's the simple reason why. Scripture has stood the test of time. We've had it for thousands of years. And here the Bible still reigns. For thousands of years, people have tried to burn Bibles. They've tried to get rid of it. But here it still stands because, because God's in control. And because God knows the life that comes from Scripture. I want, to turn, have, I want to have you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to see here just how great an encouragement God's Word is to us. We desperately need us. And we should praise God every day that He is given us this amazing gift. And spoiler alert, this is a verse, these are verses I'm going to ask you to memorize this week because I think it's so important for us not to forget the benefits of Scripture. It's not just a rule of, a law of rules, but it actually brings life to us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. If you're one that likes to underline, I encourage you, underline Verses 16 and 17 there. It says this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. How many of you have things to learn? How many of you have not yet mastered the Bible? God's word is useful for teaching. How many of you can be knuckleheads from time to time? God's word reproofs us. How many of you from time to time just get things wrong? You're just off. You just keep messing up. God's word is there to correct us. It brings us back to center. How many of you just want to grow in Christ's likeness? You want to grow and be conformed to the image of God. God's word is useful for the training of righteousness. God's word brings great life to us. And it's in God's word we're going to find our greatest encouragement. And here's the awesome thing. God's word is not just for us personally. But God speaks to us. God encourages us so that we can do what? Encourage one another. You're one of the greatest joys right now in my life. In our small group, we are going through the book of James. And we're just reading through it and discussing it. And, and here's a question for you. Who does the Spirit of God dwell in? Does, does the Spirit of God just dwell in the, the, the pastors and elders of the church? Anybody who has repented of their sin and placed their faith in Christ has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit. 
And so think about this. You have 15 people who are gathered together in a, in a room reading the scriptures. The spirit is moving through each and every one of them. And it has been in, so encouraging as we are wrestling through God's word. It's not about like, hey, what's your opinion? Hey, what do you think this means? What does this mean to you? This is, who cares what it means to you if it's, if it's outside of what God has declared here. But as we're wrestling through scriptures, we're bouncing ideas as if we're praying, as if we're preparing to other scriptures, taking every thought captive. We're able to encourage one another because we often see things from a different lens. Do you realize that you don't see things clearly? As I look around, many of you have glasses. I hate glasses, I do. They get dirty. For the first time when I went to get my eyes checked, they, they suggested bifocals. <laughs> I'm like, are you crazy? But just because you don't have glasses doesn't mean you can see clearly spiritually. None of us do. We all have blind spots, but when the Spirit is moving through multiple people and we're able to wrestle through God's word together, oh, the great encouragement that comes our way. And you know what? There are times when I just don't have the ears to hear it. There are times where I just can't get up in the morning to read because I'm so distracted. But I gather together, I lay my burdens before my brothers and sisters and ask them to pray. And the greatest encouragement that I receive is not just I'll pray for you, which is very encouraging. But the other part is like, here's God's word. Oh, that we would be a church that learns to care for one another with our Bibles open. You need God's word for you, but God also wants you to use his word to encourage others. And if we aren't doing life together, if we aren't studying the word ourselves, we have, first of all, nothing for the Holy Spirit to work with, but also we have nothing to offer each other. And far too often, we, we don't have anything to say because we don't know God's word. Hey, I can't think of anything clever to say. I don't, you don't need anything clever to say. God's word has it all here. Get into the scriptures. Let the scriptures, let the truth encourage you. These brothers and sisters weren't encouraged because of man's wisdom. They were encouraged because of the Father moving through and the Holy Spirit speaking through these apostles. And think about this. Did they have the Bible in its form that we have back then? No. Much of this was being written as they were experiencing it. But we have the completed word. We can see the story of the gospel taking form all throughout. That's why it's such an important thing as we're able to, as we have the capacity to read through all of the Bible, to see the gospel that's thread throughout. Are you someone who is an encourager? There, there's... Typically two types of people in the room. There are some who just like to point out what's wrong. And there are others who are too afraid to point out what's wrong, so they'll just say what's good. And are either one of those the best? <laughs> this is, again, why we need each other. I need people in my life who are able to call me out. I'm more of an encourager. I'm more of the guy who can be afraid to say what I need to say. And so I love it when brothers come and and correct me when I'm off because I need that. And I love it when I'm able to encourage somebody who maybe all they see is the negative. Like we're called to encourage. 
Are you someone who can find yourselves in either one of those ditches? Because both of them are. Encouragement is not just you're awesome. (laughs) Encouragement is also, brother, sister, I I see you veering. The the way that you're talking to your kids, your spouse, the way you're talking about your job, the way you're complaining, the way you're not looking for the good. Man, let me just encourage you. Let me remind you of God's goodness. And for those who are in despair, those who are fearful, like what, they don't need to hear, come on, just trust God. Like that's part of it. But we can't just come alongside and scold them. Scripture says that we admonish the idle, but we encourage the faint-hearted. We need to lift up the faint-hearted. Are you someone who knows to do that with the word of God? Maybe the best thing for you is just to seek the Lord in his word this week so that you realize your encouragement's coming from the right things. Too often we're, we're quick to pull up an, a, a podcast. I'll let somebody else feed me. Now certainly we benefit from the preaching of God's word. But we have to beat in ourselves. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Our mission is what? Glorify God by making disciples. This is a call on all of us individually. This isn't just for the church to do, for the pastors and the elders, the small group leaders. We are all included in this. We are stronger together. If we want to see great fruit for the kingdom of God, then we will be unified. And I want you to think about this. Do you see a lot of unity in the world? Or do you see a lot of brokenness, broken families, broken churches for that matter, broken employment places where people are so unhappy to be at places because those who are running the show are making it miserable. It's a testimony to the world when the church is unified. Not perfect, not always getting along, like not always just agreeing with whatever the pastor says, but we're engaging with one another. When we're offended, we're going and we're seeking reconciliation. When we're bothered by something that somebody says, we're willing to say, hey, can you give me some clarity on that? Man, when we live that way, when we, we learn to forgive, we learn to lean in instead of just bolting, that is a testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ who has reconciled broken people, who are separated from God, but by his grace, through the gospel, he unifies us with the Father. So as we close, let me leave you with a few action steps that you could put into practice this morning. First of all, let me encourage you, as we mentioned already, memorize 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. God's word says, I've hidden your word in my heart that what? I might not sin against you. Spend some time reading through Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. This is such a rich passage. The first part of Ephesians speaks all about who we are in Christ. And then if the rest of Ephesians just speaks about what we are to do in light of that reality. Let me just read some of this to help encourage you. I therefore... A prisoner for the Lord urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit. You see the eagerness there? There's an eager, I know there's something between us, there's a wall, it doesn't feel good, I feel awkward, but you know what, I'm going to lean into this. Because I want unity for the glory of God. Verse 4, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. We're unified through Christ's gift, aren't we? I encourage you to, to spend some time dwelling further into that. Number three there, view others through a gospel lens. View others through a gospel lens. What does that mean? We spent a lot of time just talking about it. What has Christ done for you? He's forgiven you of your sin. How many of you are worthy of your forgiveness? <laughs> Our sin is against a perfect, holy God. The sins against us are sins against an imperfect person. Our sin is far worse against God than anybody's sins against us. And Christ forgave us, so therefore we can forgive others. Are we ready to offer that forgiveness? And let's remember that forgiveness is not just acting like nothing happened. But it's rather a protection for you that you don't allow bitterness to reign in your hearts. View others through a gospel lens. And then lastly, who can you encourage this week? Who can you lift up? Maybe it's a letter that you need to write to somebody just to let them know you're praying for them. But let's be a church that encourages one another. And in that, the church will be strengthened. We are stronger together, are we not? Stronger in unity. We are stronger in encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the beauty of your church. Thank you for all that you have done for us. God, I pray that you would just continue to grow our community, that we would not just be people who come on a Sunday and then leave and forget, Lord, but that we would be joined together, that we would go out into the world together, that we would not try to do this alone, that when we need help, when we're stuck in a mess, God, would you allow us to be humble enough to admit it? Because the truth is we're all a mess here, Lord. None of us has a perfect record. And so, God, would you bring unity to us. And that unity, even as we sin against one another and forgive and work through and lean in, not overlook, but when we lean into one another, we're stronger through that. God, make us a people that looks to encourage, looks to build up, looks to point others to you, God. We need you. And, Father, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for all that you've done for us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Is Brad in the house? Anybody seen Brad? All right. Well, we won't do that. Well, we'd love for you to stick around here. We're going to have donuts here in about five to ten minutes. And so we're going to be clearing those last, those back two or three rows. So if you're in those rows, we won't be mean to kick you out. We're just trying to set up for that. So hang around. Uh, find somebody that you don't know. Introduce yourself. Uh, and then let's just join in time of fellowship here uh, for the next several minutes.